0: If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 25, and then we're going to turn to uh, Leviticus, chapter 24, and we're going to talk a little bit about the next place where you gather, and that is the table of showbread. In the book of Exodus, chapter 25, let's start in verse 23, it says you're going to make a table." Of acacia wood, two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. Shall overlay it with pure gold, make a molding of gold around it. You'll make a rim around it, a hand breadth wide, and a molding of gold around the rim. And you'll make for it four rings of gold. And fasten the rings to the the four corners at at its four legs, close to the frame. The rings shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold and the table shall be carried with these and you shall make its plate and dishes for incense, its flagons and bowls in which to pour the drink offerings and you'll make of them of pure gold and you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. If you will now turn with me to the book of of Leviticus chapter uh, 24, we're going to read a little bit more about that. That bread that was placed upon it. Leviticus chapter 24 says this starting in verse 5. You'll take fine flour and bake 12 loaves from it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf. And you'll set them in two piles, six in one pile on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you'll put pure frankincense on each pile that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion As a food offering to the Lord. And every Sabbath day Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of the Israel as a covenant forever. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons. And they shall eat it in a holy place. Since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offering. A perpetual due. Hallelujah. I uh, I want us to pray that God would once again illuminate his word. That's what we desire most of all. We hear the word, we preach the word, but you and I are tasked with the responsibility of receiving the word. And so why don't we pray that we could receive the word of God. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And I pray that as we look upon this this template of the tabernacle, that God, you would show us how to apply it to our own lives so that we could each and every moment that we bow our heads, that we could be in your presence, oh God. Lord, I don't want to pray for naught. I don't want to waste my prayer. But God, I want to be in your presence so that I can commune with you and you with us. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. You can be seated. Uh, Give me just a a moment or two to go over some things we've already talked about. The tabernacle in its, uh, uh, the the tabernacle, if you can, I don't know, I meant to tell you, Brother Mike, if you've got that picture of the tabernacle, you can throw that up. But... um, the tabernacle, there was a linen gate fence around the tabernacle proper. 100 feet long on each side, and on the front and the back, if you will, it was 50 feet wide. I told you last Sunday that this church, from the back wall to this wall, is, is right at 100 feet. So it's about as long as this church. The church is 32 feet wide, I believe, and so be a little bit wider than here. That shows you how big the footprint. Of the, the, the tabernacle and its court was And of course you know that it was, it was uh, the actual tabernacle The tent was a little bit shorter, a little bit littler than that We make some stops We didn't spend a lot of time, I didn't give you a whole sermon on this I feel like we do it uh, a, a pretty good job of it And that is, you, you got to enter into the tabernacle encampment through a gate And the Bible says we enter into his gates with thanksgiving And we enter into his courts with praise. Unfortunately, that's where so many of us stop. We've got the praise, we've got the worship down. But all you merely did was enter into the courtroom, the courtyard, if you will. But there you would see in front of you that altar Of That that brazen altar The place in which the sacrifices occurred The places in which things were killed It was a bloody place When you begin to look through the first couple chapters of Leviticus You find that they were very specific About how the animals were to be slaughtered And what was happening Blood was placed on the altar It was placed on different things It was splattered It was splashed It, It was not a pretty place But I'm convinced that as you look at the pattern of the tabernacle Fifty chapters in God's word are used to describe the tabernacle and its importance. Thirteen chapters in Exodus, eighteen chapters in Leviticus, thirteen chapters in Numbers, two chapters in Deuteronomy, and four chapters in Hebrews tells me that God has a very important connection to the tabernacle. If you will, it was God's pattern for how do you become, how do you get into my presence? One thing, and we could never uh, uh, overlook this, is that all of the things in that tabernacle are seen in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the the sacrifice. He is the lamb for sinners slain. It's the blood that he shed that allows us to be cleansed in that labor. You could keep going. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is that worship, and and of course, he is also the presence of God. But more than that, I believe it becomes a pattern for you and I to enter into his presence. And if we will pattern our prayer after the pattern of the tabernacle, you'll find that it becomes easier to pray. And I believe that your prayers, if I could say it this way, would be much more effective. And so we come into his gates with thanksgiving. We take a stop at that brazen altar. That brazen altar, offer altar represents the place where we repent. It represents the place where we say, Lord, I am placing myself, Lord, not me. I don't want this flesh to be in control of my life. Lord, I sacrifice it. I lay it down. Not my will, but thine be done. Lord, would you let me lay on that altar? I don't want me to be in charge. I want he to be in charge. And then, of course, last Sunday, we stopped at the, the, the laver, the brazen laver, and we made this this... This connection that after the priests would have sacrificed, they were pretty bloody. They, they had done what needed to be done, but they were, they were pretty dirty. And they could not enter into that, that holy place the way they were. And so they would stop at a laver. The laver doesn't tell us how big it was. There's no dimensions given for the laver. And, and I, I believe it's, it's part and parcel because there are no limits to what God can cleanse, what God can wash and so they would stop there. That outer court though, it 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 really represents just the minimum of living for God. That outer court was it was lit by the by just the ambient lighting and so during the day it was lit, during night it was dark. Um, I know it had a fire in it, but it, it was there it 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 didn't require much change. I mean yeah, sacrifice, but You didn't have to change your garments, you didn't have to change your methods, some have said you didn't have to change your involvement. It was just kind of the the very minimum that it was. You can repent, you can be washed, that was all. That outer court was, even though you couldn't really see in because of those linen fences, that outer court was still affected by what goes on around it, the noise of the camp. Would have been heard in that outer court. The distractions of life are present in that outer court, and God forbid that we just stay in that outer court. But yet, I, I would ask you to, to kind of take a mental picture of your own prayer life and find out how much of your prayer you spend in the outer court and only in that outer court alone. You worship, you thank Him, you, you repent, you're washed. And then you go your merry own way. That outer court, it, it, it kind of prepares us. But that's not the final place that you and I need to be. The, the, the place happens in that cloistered environment that was wrapped in badger skin and ram skin and wrapped in various layers. It was that tent, that tabernacle that not just anyone could enter in. In fact, it required that when the priest had, had, had entered and the priest had, had, had stopped by the altar and the priest had washed himself, before that priest could enter into that, that tabernacle, that tent, he had to change his clothes. If you read in, in the book of, of uh, Exodus, you'll find that there is an entire chapter dedicated to the garments that the priests were going to wear. It's very specific. It's all the layers. It's everything from the undergarments to the outer garments. It tells exactly how they're to be constructed. And, and pomegranates and bells on the bottom of it that were, were there. And, and it had it had uh, uh, gemstones that were there on the breastplate. And if they were going to go into the presence of God, it necessitated a change of garment. It necessitated a, a change of who they were. And so it was that Uh, uh, they began to think about what it was. It was a, a higher calling, if you will, a higher place. I'm firmly convinced that we've got to realize that being in the presence of God means I can't walk the way I used to walk. I can't talk the way I used to talk. I can't be who I used to be. It's not about me at all. It's about Him. It's about being sensitive to Him and where He leads and where He draws because ultimately I want to be into His presence. Very interesting when they would walk from the outside into that tabernacle that tabernacle um, was 45 feet long and then 15 feet of that was the holiest of holies so 30 feet was the long was the was the first part what they call the holy place and then there was a veil behind the veil it was 15 foot square And, and and that's where the Ark of the Covenant was and I want you to use your imagination if you will you've been around the altar it's a place, it's, it's loud, it's, there's, there's blood going everywhere, there's animals squealing and screaming. It wasn't a pretty place and repentance never is. You take a step a little bit further and you hit that place of washing and you say, God, cleanse me, wash me. And it's, it's, it's bright, it's crazy, it's chaotic, there's noise, it's, it's all of that. And then you change the garments and you step into that holy place. takes you a minute for your eyes to adjust. The, those layers of, of fabric that, that create the tabernacle. It's beautiful on the inside and it goes to ugly skin on the outside because on the outside all it was it was designed was to make sure that water didn't get in. it was watertight air, or uh, 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 weathertight if you will. And as you step in, you take a moment, much like you do when you walk into a building, your eyes adjust and finally, it's lit by a golden candlestick. This is what we're going to talk about next week, God, God willing, is the golden candlestick. That was the only light in the tabernacle, was that that, that golden candlestick. But you would stop there. There was a on one side there was the table of showbread that we're going to talk about tonight. On the other side is the, the, the golden candlestick. And then right in front of the veil was an altar of incense. And then you would be able to go behind the veil and you would enter into the Ark of the Covenant. So it is that you would get ready to enter in. The table of showbread's really interesting because it at first glance, it's like, what is that? What is its purpose? We read in, in Leviticus chapter 24, we read about uh, those loaves, twelve loaves. Each of those, now I don't bake at all. I'm I can grill and I can cook cajun food with the best of them, but baking is not my strong suit. So any of you bakers, maybe you can help me out, but uh, according to the word of God, two-tenths of an ephah uh, is in each loaf of, of, uh, of flour. I began to do some of the calculations. What that means is each loaf contained a little over a gallon of flour. To me, that makes a lot of bread. You know, you kind of think, they, these were not little tiny loaves, they were pretty big loaves. There were 12 of them. Uh, most likely, just because the number twelve seems to always represent the twelve tribes of Israel, there was a, a loaf of bread for each tribe, if you will. On Friday, if you will, they were uh, baked and then they were replaced that following Sabbath, and 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 during that time, it was a, a a time in which the 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 priests would be able to sustain themselves with that bread. It was uh, bread that they could be that. Uh, That that, that table says it was made out of acacia wood And overlaid with gold I can't tell you that I came up with all this by myself Because uh, sometimes I need help as I study it, Brother Cozart But it seems that no matter where I went to study They always said the same thing Maybe they got it from the same person, I don't know But no matter what commentary, no matter what sermon No matter what pastor It always said this, that the, the acacia wood represents the humanity and the gold represents the divinity. That for, for Jesus, he was both divine, he was God Almighty, but he was also, he became fully human. But for you and I, it represents something else. It represents that our, our, our humanity must always be covered by him that if I'm going to live for the Lord, it's kind of what I said last Sunday about the, the braise and laver being constructed out of the brass mirrors of the women. Because the, they would take brass and they would shine it up and it would give them a, a pretty good reflection. Of who they were and so when that priest would go to wash their hands or wash themselves in it, they saw their reflection. And the question that you and I must ask ourselves is when I look in that, that, that laver, that cleansing, do I see me or do I start seeing him? If I'm going to walk into the presence of God, I cannot walk with me. I've got to walk seeing him. I must decrease and he must Increase. You know, I the, the last Sunday night, the labor, just all of the things that 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 fits and fills. Man, you can start really preaching about the reflection. When it comes to the table of showbread, it's kind of one of those sermons that just preaches itself. I don't know that you're going to swing from the chandeliers as I I, I talk about the table of showbread. Now, when we start getting to the the golden candlestick and the Holy Spirit, man, it starts moving. Or When we get to that holiest of holies and we see the present, man, we can shout. But that table of showbread, it just kind of doesn't sound all that exciting. Until you begin to put things together. Jesus said in the book of John chapter 6 and verse 32 Jesus said unto them verily verily I say unto you Moses gave you not that bread from heaven but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven for the bread of god is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto this world and they said unto him lord give us the bread humanity in Jesus time wasn't always smart even even the disciples They would say things like, Lord, I want to see the Father. And He says, you're looking at Him. They didn't always get it. They didn't always understand when Jesus spoke. But Jesus said, the one that comes down from heaven is that bread of life. Jesus was indicating that He has taken the place of that table of showbread. Showbread, a very loose translation is the bread of presence. The bread of presence. John teaches us, John chapter 1 verse 1, especially John 14 tells us that, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus said in John chapter 6 verse 35, He said, I am the bread of life, and he that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me should never thirst. The bread. The laver washes us. And, and we a little bit, uh, we, we talked about, when we, when we talked about the, uh, the altar, we read Psalms chapter 51. It's a great psalm to read when you're in a time of repentance, what you were doing when you do that is partaking of the bread, the showbread, the table of showbread. David said this in Psalms 119.11, Thy word have I hid in my heart. Now that in and of itself is a is a is a powerful statement. And I do wish I I have some regrets in my life and one of my regrets is that I didn't put more of an emphasis on reading the word of God. I didn't put a, a, a more of an emphasis on memorizing the word of the Lord as I grew up. I I have regrets about that. But it's not just about Bible quizzing. And I love Bible quizzing and I'm glad that our church in various times has been able to be a part of that and I want it to continue but It's not about just memorizing the word because there is a second phrase that comes after that. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And so suddenly the word takes on a far more important role in my life than just spiritual disciplines. See, the bread program and and reading your Bible, if you're not careful, it just becomes a spiritual discipline where you say, I've got to read the Bible. And so you read the Bible, and it's much like I did when I was at school. I read just enough to pass the test, and then as soon as the test was over, out it flew. Don't be nodding your head, Zane. Don't do that. That's bad. So many facts that I just crammed in my head, had no intention of retaining them. I just wanted to pass the test. And if I asked you, and I'm not going to because I love you and I don't want to embarrass you, but if I asked you how do you read your Bible and what do you take out of your Bible and what do you retain and what do you remember, chances are too many of us read the Bible just to say we read the Bible, but we couldn't tell you one thing that we read. I would be... It it would make me far more happy if you read one verse a day and remembered that one verse a day than if you read a whole chapter a day and don't remember anything. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against it. Hide it in your heart. Don't just read it. Hide it in your heart. Don't just look at it. Hide it in your heart. Don't just put it on your nightstand. But there is something about if you want to be in the presence of God, you've got to learn to come and go to that table in which the word is there and get a fresh word from the Lord Jesus has told us that he's the bread of life and that bread of life has some some images that mirror it as you look through the history of of Israel God brings them out of Egypt they don't have farms they can go to they're not going to be able to so what did God do He says, when you wake up tomorrow, you're going to open your tent door and there's going to be a strange substance that covers the ground. Uh, Various commentators have have argued over what it looked like. Some said it looked kind of like mush. Others said it looked kind of like wafers. I don't really know what it looked like. To me, it looked like oatmeal over the ground. And they walked out of their tents and they said, what is this? And God said, yes. Remember the, the, the who's on first, what's on second routine? I mean, if you know that, just so you know, Abbott Costella. If you don't know that, you are just horribly mistreated and you need to go home after I preach and YouTube it. They said, what is it? And God says, yes, because manna means what is it. And God said, here's what I want you to do. You can go out. I have given you life-sustaining bread. They said it tasted kind of like bread and honey or wafers and honey. And so you go out on that morning and you gather enough for that day. Put it in a pot, do whatever. Get enough for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and midnight snack if you need it. He said, but don't try to gather something for tomorrow because it'll spoil overnight. But the next day, you're going to have to get up, you're going to have to walk out, you're going to have to collect. The only time that God said, "I'll, I'll let you collect enough was the night before the Sabbath. He said, because I don't want you to work on the Sabbath day so you can collect double. That way you can have it. But I'm telling you, there's something about a fresh word. If you've read your Bible through a hundred years ago, that's great. And I'm glad you can put it on your merit badge. But what have you done for God lately? What did you read today? What did you read yesterday? What of His Word is ministering to you right now? And if your only Word comes from behind this pulpit, you're starving. Because if I only ate twice on Sunday and once on Wednesday... Maybe for you young people also Tuesday night, I'd die. I'd just curl up in a little fetal position, I'd die. Someone said, well, pastor, I, I, don't, I, you know, I, I don't know why we got to come to church all the time. I don't even remember the sermons you preach. I can't tell you what you preached. And that pastor looked at him and said, yeah, that's okay. By the way, what did you eat for breakfast uh, March the 3rd? I said, I have no idea. What'd you eat for, uh, for, for lunch, um, you know, January the 15th? I don't know. Yeah, but if you, you may not remember it, but if you hadn't have eaten it on that day, you would have hurt yourself. The Word of God is a daily thing. I, the, 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 the part of this, and it's, it, there's so many ways that you could look at it, but you've got to get that Word inside you. The Bible says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It's not enough that the word be in front of me. It's not enough that the word is around me. But you've got to get it there. See, when you leave the outer court and you enter into that holy place, you take a stop at his word. That word that we pray gives us what we need to face the enemy and win. Uh, I like the, the little addition to the song that our praise team sung, and you'll have to help me out well, uh, about the, the, the enemies defeated. How, how did that go? We declare the victory over every enemy. I like that. And man, I can shout to that. I can get all excited, and I can say, yeah, come on, God, do it. The problem is the Lord himself showed, me, you know, showed us a, a pattern when the first thing that Jesus does, and you have to think about this. Here's Jesus. He, he's God manifest in the flesh. And, and, and he, he, he goes and he's baptized in the Jordan River. And the dove comes out and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And, I mean, it's fireworks and it's awesome. And then immediately Jesus goes in the wilderness for 40 days. And the Bible says that the devil begins to tempt him. By the way, if Jesus is tempted of the devil the first moment he steps out into his ministry, you better believe that you and I are going to be ransacked on a daily basis by the enemy, too. And Jesus goes out in the wilderness. Remember, he's God manifest in the flesh. He's fully God, he's fully man. I understand all that. He goes out there in the wilderness, and the devil begins to buffet him, Brother Bob. And Jesus goes, I declare victory over the enemy, it's going to happen. Well, I sung about it. How come I'm not getting any victory? I, 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 I danced a little bit in church when they, when they talked about that, that, that he's got the power. How come I'm not? It's because the Lord showed us a pattern. And that is, if you're going to live an overcoming life, you have to have a daily sustaining diet of the word of God. So the devil comes. In in Matthew chapter 4. And he says, you know what? Uh, the, The devil looks at Jesus and says, you know what? You've been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. I know you're hungry. If you were really the son of God, you could command these stones to become loaves of bread. The irony of telling the bread of life that he needs stones to turn into bread, but whatever. The humanity of Jesus caressed a stone. And the temptation was ever present. Bible says he's tempted like in all things like as you and I are. So that means that's how I would have been. I'd have been praying Arby's showed up in the middle of that, you know, uh, uh, desert, wilderness area. You talk about mirages, my mirages would be McDonald's and, you know, that's what I would see. But as he looks at that, instead of, instead of Jesus saying, you know what, devil, I got the victory. Instead, this is what he says, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that cometh out of the mouth of God. Here's what he was doing, he was quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8 in verse 3, that's the word, and if Jesus Christ needs the word to get victory, how much more do you think you and I need the word? The devil took him to the holy city set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said unto him if you're the son of God throw yourself down for it is written he will command his angels uh, concerning you and on their hand they shall bear you up lest you uh, strike your foot against a stone. Devil's pretty good at using the word of God too he just don't use it correctly. Go back to the garden of, of Eden and how he twisted the word of God. So the devil Tries to give you a false word, a false bread. And again, Jesus said unto him and said, Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That's Deuteronomy 6.16. And so the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And the devil said unto him, All of these I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. That's Deut- Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 13. It is the word in me that gives me strength. Jesus not only is the bread, but He also taught us how to eat, how to consume, how to have that word of God inside us, not just around us, not just in front of us, not just available to us, but get it inside of you. I, uh, I, I like the fact that, that uh, there's been times when I've been praying or time when I've been thinking, and you, you know what happens in my life, and I've, I've told you some of these stories, My life and some of my struggles and some of my battles, I'll hear the word of the Lord. I'll hear it just as plainly as if you told it to me. When I was having an awful day, I mean, I'm telling you a bad day, the worst day I've ever had in my life. The Lord said, but this is the day that I have made. You should rejoice and be glad in it. What that was was that word that I had put in my heart, and I didn't even think about it. But on the day I needed it, he let that word come back out. It was a fresh word. There was another moment in that same time period that he he, He—it was as clear as if somebody said it. He said, but my peace I give you. And that word comes forth. It's amazing. How many of you have ever prayed, and when you're praying, the word of God just is illuminated, or maybe you hear it, or maybe you kind of see it in your mind. Anybody ever had that happen to you before? That's what it means to have a fresh word. I want to have it. That's why when the preacher's preaching, whether it's, it's me or anybody else behind this pulpit, or any pulpit, when that preacher's preaching, you need to be consuming that word. That's why I'm okay if you're writing it down. That's why I'm okay if you can't say amen because you're too busy making sure that I'm in the Bible. I'm alright with that because I want you to go home and later on you look in your Bible and you see something that was preached about and that word begins to go forth. Elijah had defeated Jezebel there on Mount Carmel You know when, the, the, when, when God let fire call, uh, fall down from heaven. Jezebel threatened his life, he said I'm going to do to you what you did to my ministers and Elijah had him cut in pieces and so that meant she was going to try to cut Elijah into pieces. And Elijah, and it's one of those just kind of weird things in the Bible, but here's Elijah who just prayed a very short prayer and fire fell and fire ate the sacrifice, ate the wood, ate the water, even ate the stones and the dirt around it and now Elijah's scared out of his mind over a girl. He just defeated some 800 prophets but he's scared of Jezebel. And so he goes off in the wilderness and he finds himself a tree to sit under. This is 1 Kings chapter 19. He goes and he finds a tree to sit under and he asks the Lord just to take him home. And the, the idea is that he was hungry. He didn't have any provisions. He had ran away and he's faint and, and his, his spirit is his, starting to talk to him. Not God's spirit, but his. And he says, God, I can't, I can't make it any further. Just go on without me. Just let me die. And... While all of this is happening, an angel comes. The angel taps him on the shoulder and says, Wake up, it's time to eat. And Elijah woke up and he ate the bread that the angel had brought him. It's straight from heaven, if you will. He ate that bread. It sustained him for the moment. And then he went back to sleep. A little bit later, an angel came back and tapped him on the shoulder. Elijah wake up to eat and he woke up and ate the bread. second time that he ate the bread. But this time, that bread gave him strength that he needed to go for 40 days. Here's the point. It's not enough just to get that little bit of salvation in your life. And the salvation is vitally important. But you need that bread that will sustain you, the bread that will take you further. And the best way you can do that is what Psalm says Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good, or shall not want of any good. John chapter 5 and verse 39 says this search the scriptures for in them you may you think you have eternal life and they and they are they which testify of me I made the statement to our platform staff uh, before they came in and that is all too often and I see it all the time I need a fresh word from the Lord I need a fresh word I need a fresh word What they mean by that, because I've used that in my sermon, but what they mean by that is I need to go find a conference. I need to go find another preacher. I need to go find some televangelist that will tell me what I need to say. But I want to tell you right now, there's 66 books in this Bible and until you've exhausted every word until you've exhausted every promise until you've exhausted everything that's there every commandment every story you shall not and every thou shall of the word of God don't go looking for anything else everything you need is right here because we know that everything in this Bible is breathed out of the mouth of God himself get the word there's an old writer named Herbert Lockyer and he's famous for the all the in the Bible series and I've got several of them but all the men in the Bible he goes through and and he has every man ever listed in the Bible and it's an alphabetical order and then it'll tell you something about it of course a lot of them it just says this dude was in the Bible and that's all it is because we don't know anything else and then there's a you know when you get to Peter there's a lot more there. All the women of the Bible, all the miracles of the Bible, all the parables of the Bible. Really cool. And and if you want to go get on Amazon, you can find it. But he has another one called All the Prayers in the Bible. And you can read all the different prayers that people prayed. It's a pretty incredible thing. And so I want to tell you tonight that one of the things we need to do in our journey of getting into the presence of God It starts with entering, just you gotta start somewhere, okay? You gotta start somewhere. You gotta you gotta get into the tabernacle. And so you do that by entering to his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. None of us are perfect. I don't care what you think. So that means all of us have to stop at that that brazen altar. As As I mentioned two weeks ago, I'd like to think that your stop at the brazen altar. While it's always, you should always stop there. Lord willing, your time at the altar, if you will, is shorter and shorter. I'm not saying that you get to where you don't need it. but You know, for some of us, we have to spend a lot of time there. Because the life we live, just our flesh keeps getting in the way. I've walked the road. I've been a young person. I've been a middle-aged person. I've walked the road get the Holy Ghost on Sunday Monday you're back to doing the same old thing that you prayed through on Sunday about so you you come back and we'll go through stages for life where it seems like all we're doing is repenting because you're you're kind of stuck right here but I like to think I can get to the place where God's sanctification is leading me onward I'm still going to stop there just to make sure Like to think as I stop there, the Lord says, You've walked with me this week, you've walked with me today. I'm always stop at that labor because I want the cleansing of Jesus on me. I want to make sure that I'm washed in His presence, I'm washed in His blood. But I can't stop there. I want that. Remember, I told you when you entered into the the, the tent, it was dark, had to let your eyes adjust. There wasn't a lot of people at that tent at one time. Maybe just a few priests doing the duties. There was somebody that would make sure the bread was right. Someone that would that would make sure the lamp had never gone out. Some, you know, so there, there was a little bit, but it's a lot more intimate place of prayer. And we don't always get to this place. We get caught up in the repentance. We get caught up in the cleansing. But when's the last time you got... As the old guard would say, shut in with God. And one of the best ways to do that is to begin to pray the Word. It's one way that you can drown out the distractions of life. I I said that, you know, if you need to repent, Psalms 51 is a phenomenal psalm to help and lead you and guide you in repentance. That's praying the Word get the book of Psalms, you can my goodness, there's so many things that you could pray and worship some some of them are worshipful Psalms some of them are David's Psalms where he is crying out desperate for God to touch him get into the Gospels see, I'm a firm believer in taking the Lord at his word and and, you know, kids are good at this you can't hardly say anything just in passing because your your kids are going to grab hold of it and say, Daddy you said that, we're going to do it Any of you have kids like that? Time. But, Dad, you said. But, Dad, you said. With all due respect and with all due humility, sometimes I look at the Lord and I say, But, God, you said. It's not in a, in a rebellious manner, but it's, it's Lord, you said in your word, if I ask anything in faith believing, you said in your word, you'd never leave me nor forsake me. You said in your word, and I begin to grab the Bible with those red letter edition, and I begin to say, oh, look what your word says. And you'll be amazed at how that fresh word of God in your prayer life will begin to move and change you. But you said, search the scriptures search the scriptures I want us to stand if you will there was one final act that that is described by the table of showbread and and I believe that this typology plays out very well and that is the presence of those twelve loaves yes they were for the consumption of the priests in fact can read in, in, in 1 Samuel, you'll find that there was a moment in which David was running from Saul, and, and David was faint, and he went into the tabernacle. And, and, and it seems like you know there were other people that died for far less than what David did, but it's because David was operating in a prophetic moment. He was he was pushing towards the root of David, the root of Jesse that was going to come, named Jesus Christ. David went there and he, he told the priest, he said, I don't even have a sword. I've ran for my life. Is there anything here in the, in the, in the tabernacle that, that I can use to defend myself? And the priest looked and he said, well, you know, there is this old sword. We've had it for quite a while. Belonged to a guy named Goliath. David put his arms, his hands around that hilt and said, I remember this. And I'd like to tell you that when you begin to pray, you're going to find some things that will sustain you from past victories that God is touched. and He'll remind you that, hey, I delivered you then. I can deliver you now. Much like David said, I can fight Goliath. How do I know? Because I fought the lion and I won and I fought the bear and I won because God was with me. God is reminding David, hey, you fought Goliath and won too. Saul's not in my heart. David said, I'm starving. I'm so faint. And the priest said, all we have here is the showbread. So yes, that bread, it was for the sustaining of them, fresh bread. You need to have that. You need to understand it's, it, it sustains you. If, you. if you eat of the Word of God, you won't hunger after any of that anything else. My mom always told me, I don't always listen to my mom. My mom always told me if I'd eat all the good stuff, I wouldn't crave all the bad stuff. You with me? You know, that works pretty good in the spiritual too. If you'll consume the Word, you'll find that there's not a lot of room for... The things of this world to filter in, but when you're not consuming the word, watch all the other things you consume. It's amazing, we'll make time for everything else. Sorry, I'm meddling, I apologize for that. But the second thing is, those 12 loaves represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Could it be that every time that that priest walked into the temple? tabernacle, he would see those 12 loaves. He was reminded that I'm not here just for me, but there's a whole world out there that needs to make sure I'm right so that I can minister to them. That through those loaves, those priests were reminded that they were called to serve those outside the wall. That we're called to feed a hungry world the same spiritual bread that you and I have partaken. And So I ask you today, how can you give what you do not have? How can you expect this world to receive the bread of life if we aren't receiving the bread of life? So today, I I realize, like I said at the very beginning, we're not going to shout. It's kind of hard to to, to do this. I mean, it's easy when we talk about repenting. Let's everybody repent. Let's everybody ask for the cleansing. Let's everybody read the word or let's everybody pray the word. That's a little bit more difficult. But I do think what I want to do for right now is as our musicians begin to play and sing, I think it would be good for you to examine your life. And if you want a closer walk with God, I ask you this question, are you willing to put on the priestly garments and enter into a quiet place where the outside world isn't able to penetrate quite as easy? And are you willing to spend some time around that table of showbread, whether you read the word, study the word, pray the word, hear the word, listen to the word? What are you consuming? As you begin to think about that, I want you to talk to the Lord and maybe rearrange some priorities in your life. Maybe say, God, perhaps this is why I, I'm not being in touch with the presence of God as much as I'd like. So, Lord, tonight I want to start something new. I want to, I want to get into your presence and I want to, 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 to make sure that I stop at that table, show bread, daily bread. Daily bread close Would you let God speak, you. speak to you right now Never let